Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. I am joined today by Hannah Rudd. Hi, Hannah. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited that you uh, that you're joining us today on the Water Women Podcast. Do you want to start out and tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of like who you are, what you do sort of thing? Yeah, th- thank you very much for having me. Um, so I'm Hannah. Um, I'm a marine biologist um, and I'd also describe myself as a science communicator. Um, so I've recently finished my master's degree in marine environmental management. And through that, um, I got some fantastic opportunities to study sharks um, in the Maldives and in South Africa. And that really kind of ignited a passion in me, shall we say, um, to um, pursue a career within shark conservation. Um, so through that, I've, um, I'm writing a book. Um, I'm recently um, launching a new conservation organisation, which we can talk about a little bit more later on, um, and just general advocacy for sharks, anything sharks, just that sharks mad. <laughs> <laughs> so what like brought you to this how did you discover sharks and your love for them and everything like that or was it something that you always knew you wanted to do um so I've always been fascinated by our natural world um and particularly our oceans um I originally (laughs) I originally wanted to study cetaceans um I was obsessed with dolphins as as a little girl um but then eventually sharks piqued my interest um, when I was watching um, documentaries, so anything on BBC, Discovery, Nat Geo, that, that kind of thing. And I actually fell out of it for, for a couple of years, believe it or not, because although I was obsessed with these animals, I, I never saw that many female scientists or people represented um, within shark documentaries. So I didn't know anyone in marine biology. It wasn't really an accessible field for me in my like normal day-to-day life. So for a while, I was a little bit intimidated that I might not be able to, to do that. Um, and then at the end of my undergraduate degree, I just kind of took the plunge and thought, I've always loved sharks. Why don't I book a trip to South Africa, see if it, see if it works for me, see if I meet similar people. Um, and I was actually overwhelmed by how many women are actually working in the field. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. I was hooked um, from, from the first shark I saw in the wild, just completely hooked. <laughs> I love that. I partially hate that you felt that way because I feel like it's a very common thing for women to kind of be interested in this topic at a young age and look up to it and see like there's no one that really looks like them or is like them in the field. So they're like, oh, well, there's no space then when that's mm-hmm. a complete and total lie and there's tons <laughs> of space. And so I love now that there's this whole movement of number one, women can do anything, but then specifically like women belong in science fields or in yeah. the field of science. We absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think, you know, as you're saying, it's something that's really kind of picking up pace um, on social media right now. There's a lot of women sharing their experiences and um, that they've unfortunately had to go through. And I mean, I've, I consider myself very lucky um, in the sense that I haven't gone through any of the really tough struggles to, to date um, that other people have. I've, everyone's been very respectful um, and encouraging um, in my personal experience, but it's very upsetting to know that other people have been through some really quite harrowing times, really, when you when you consider it's in pursuit of a, a dream career. And 
I mean, I've I've had encountered you know the casual misogyny that happens of <laughs> you know they assume that you can't um, you're not like strong enough or tough enough or you know you're going to be too squeamish around bait or whatever. I've had a little bit of that, but nothing nothing that's really been hard hitting for me. Um, so it's really really upsetting to to feel that other other women have gone through that. Yeah, I do consider myself also quite lucky not having to face any very severe or anything really intense, but I try to never let myself forget that other people have gone through it, especially when you think about almost the pioneers of women in science and marine science. Like Sylvia Earle was one of the biggest female names in marine science, or still is, and when she started, it was a completely male-dominated field. So to be where she is, what she must have gone through, and the things she's done despite that is absolutely amazing to me. Mm, complete, completely. Like I have so much admiration for real tra- trailblazers like her, you know. Um, and you know, going back to what I was just saying, then I've just had a kind of sudden thought that even though I haven't actually encountered any sort of harassment per se or downgrading in in the sense that you can't do this because you're a woman the fact that I still felt that way by looking through representation at one point in my life is probably bad enough because I I think that you know there might not be people might not be as courageous as I I don't want to use that word because I just went on a trip but (laughs) it feels like there might be some people that are so overly anxious and so they feel intimidated that they don't go for it and they don't take that jump and it you know I think back to when I was an undergrad and I was incredibly shy and anxious and I'm not sure you know whether in another world whether I would have taken that that leap and that's quite sad to think that someone might not do that um yeah. because they don't think there's a seat at the table for them there there is always a seat at the table 110 percent always a seat even if you have mm-hmm. to pull your own chair up exactly yeah I mean you know, it's something I'm, I feel personally very passionate about, diversity within science, but within all fields, you know, the more voices you have, the, the stronger the science is, the stronger the, the research and the greater the innovation, um, the more dimensionality it has. You know, if you have a group of people that all think the same way, trying to solve one problem, then it might take longer. You probably might not get a very robust response or result you know diversity is is more than simply improving representation it's making everything greater yeah absolutely so let's get back on topic to you a little (laughs) bit and tell us a bit about the like actual research and work that you're doing right now or we're doing prior to the pandemic I suppose (laughs) So um, I'm currently finishing um, my, well, I'm preparing for, for publishing my, my master's thesis. So my predominant interests of uh, shark research are, are public perceptions of them um, and the role that the media has in that and how our perceptions of them fuel our ambition or not to, to protect them um, in particular areas around the world. Um, and I'm also very interested in ecotourism and its management and how it can be used as a tool to facilitate shark conservation. Um, so one of the, the, the research papers that I've been involved with that I'm, I'm currently preparing is with the Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme. Um, and that is looking at the, the management of whale shark tourism um, in the Maldives. So South Ari Atoll is um, 
located in the Maldives <laughs> and it's a very special place um, in the world because it's home to a year-round aggregation of whale sharks. There's still a lot of questions that we need, need to answer about these guys. We're not entirely sure why they like to spend all year there. Um, I mean, I would, so I don't really blame them. <laughs> um, but um, so because of that, it's become um, a hotspot for whale sharks, uh, tourism, snorkeling, snorkeling with these animals. And I mean, who wouldn't want to, to swim with the world's biggest fish, right? Um, but unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. So while it supports... Um, the local economies, there's an entire economy and livelihoods that are now built entirely based upon this, this whale shark tourism activity. There's, there's also um, a lot of risks and threats that, that are faced by, by unchecked tourism to, to these whale sharks. So, for example, boat strikes, um, interactions with people. If we get too close, they can, they can um, exhibit avoidance behaviour, for example. Mm. Um, we, we don't know the, the true depth of what our influence is on um, on these animals, because we still have so many questions left un- unanswered about their behaviour, um, and it's it's really quite unfortunate to see that this beautiful animal um, covered in scars from from boats that have just gone straight over it because it can't swim away fast enough. <laughs> we have no idea how 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 that energetically compromises them, so. For this study, we've essentially um, compared and contrasted the Maldives, which is, as I mentioned, a pretty, pretty unchecked tourism industry with other sites around the world um, to just create a, a code of conduct, which is voluntary. It's not even law, which I personally think it should be <laughs> to, to how you can interact with these animals. And it is very difficult in you know an environment like the ocean where there's currents it's moving there's different swimming capability for example to stay three four meters away from this animal but it's all about the intention right if, if you see yeah. people inten- intentionally going to touch it or intentionally trying to to obstruct its its pathway i think there should personally i think there should be some kind of penalization for that or at least that the tourism operators should um have to give an educational briefing on on the the best practice and the best conduct for for swimming with with these animals because it's a privilege right they're an endangered species the biggest fish in the world big friendly whale shark <laughs> and i don't think anyone would intentionally want to to hurt it um no. so it's all about education and awareness um absolutely that was a very long <laughs> explanation no, that's okay. i had a uh... I had no idea that you were working with the Maldives Whale Shark Research Project because by the time this episode comes out, a couple episodes back, we just had Chloe on uh, who like works with them too. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm just involved um, in this paper. Um, I'm, I don't work for them, um, <laughs> but I had the, an amazing opportunity last year to go out and, and work for them at the time. Um, and it was just, yeah, an incredible, incredible place. Very special um and yeah just you should definitely get out there um, and and engage in ethical and responsible whale shark tourism (laughs) um yeah so that was that and then the other paper i did was i looked at um how important voluntourism can be in changing people's perceptions towards sharks um and i used a cage diving operator uh, with great white sharks in south africa for that so that was cool yeah that's that was another incredible experience um, and it was just amazing to watch um, volunteers and tourists that were just on, on the boat every day 
how much their their perception of sharks changed from you know the the misconceptions we think because of what we see in the media which I even must confess I kind of thought a little bit too before I saw them in the wild um to to what the reality actually is um oh yeah absolutely my favorite things when that's all you see that media when you're not really like exposed to these uh, animals in their native habitat you're only seeing them via this media like movies and whatnot not even educational movies sometimes like literally jaws Mm -hmm. so you're getting like they get this really bad rap that they're these massively awful animals when Mm -hmm. they're really not yeah completely and I mean even even um the author of Jaws himself came out and said uh I think it was in the early 2000s that if he knew um how destructive um Jaws would be to shark conservation he would never have written the book um, yeah, which I think is really, you know, powerful, really powerful. Um, but fear sells. Um, and until, you know, there's a public demand and a public shift from from buying um, media outlets or clickbait or whatever that that promotes that fear sells image, media won't change because money talks. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's obviously important, very important to, to have a healthy respect for for sharks. They are apex predators and they can do serious damage should they should they want to um but the actual likelihood of that happening is very slim and i think it's you know having an appreciation for that and for their role within within the ocean that's that's the most important aspect that we just don't generally have as a global population yeah exactly i uh i referred to them kind of when i'm talking to people i work on a like tourism boat like whale watching kind of boat and i get a lot of questions about sharks because we have six different shark species around here Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of questions about them, like, oh, shouldn't we be scared? And I'm like, well, yeah, these sharks are dangerous, but also they're kind of like, for lack of better terms, a stupid dog where they'll like, <laughs> take a bite of you and be like, oh, that's not what I wanted. I am so sorry. Yeah. And then, and then they kind of swim away. So like it's most injuries or anything from sharks are unintentional. And then I'm like, if you think about the orca, these orcas will play with you before they Mm -hmm. kill you like they are intelligent animals and so these sharks are just kind of like oops sorry so sorry didn't mean to do that sorry bye they just very silly little guys totally totally like sharks are simple fish right they they just they just want to swim around (laughs) in the ocean eat a little bit um yeah no totally and i mean i think I think, you know, cage diving, for example, with great whites is such a fantastic example of that when they just get glide past the cage. They're just checking you out. Then they're obviously not interested in you. Um, they're far more attracted to the actual, you know, the tuna that's used as an attractant. Um, yeah. And that, that's, you know, a great example. And, and also another thing that I love is whenever a seal is around the boat, because, you know, sometimes when there's, there's juvenile white sharks they're actually quite nervous and anxious around around an adult <laughs> cape fur seal um and you know you you instinctively think it's the other way but that adult cape fur seal is a very big animal and it's a predator in its own right and should it want to it can inflict some damage on the shark <laughs> so you know the, the sharks tend to tend to go for the baby baby seals not 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 the adults because as i say they're, they're big animals in their own right as well so that's a another great example of changing perceptions yeah well it's always important to understand the animals that you're working around or not even working around but being around 
because they're going to all be a little different. And you can't go in there thinking every single shark is going to come at you and attack you when in reality they're absolutely not. That Mm -hmm. being said, obviously they are a dangerous animal and you need to respect them. I've always said when I refer to the ocean and the animals in it, I'm not, I don't have a fear of anything, but I have a very deep respect for it because I know that in a half a second, anything in that ocean could kill me. (laughs) Yeah, I guess um, I saw something on the internet the other day that said, you know, because there's, there's always these, these like memes that are going around about people saying that sharks infest the ocean and obviously they don't, they live there. <laughs> That's um, their home. Exactly. Um, but then there's also um, the, some pictures. Oh, it was going to, this is what it, let me get back to it. <laughs> it said <laughs> that um, whenever you go into the ocean, you, you take a risk, right? Because you're going into an unknown environment that we're not particularly well adapted for. Um, and you know, I think it's just it just sums up human nature, doesn't it? Really, that anywhere we want to go, how how dare a shark be be in my favorite swimming patch? You know? Yeah, really. Even though like that's the shark's home, but how dare it be there? Like, yeah. Okay. I completely yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it's we shouldn't be scared to be in the ocean, but equally, you have to have a respect and an understanding that, as you say, if something happens, something happens. It's like yeah. a it's a weighing up of risks what's your favorite thing to talk about about sharks like if you got to talk about sharks what would you talk about (laughs) um this see these these are the kind of questions that i just have like a million different things and i'm trying to think (laughs) the best or the coolest thing to say at this this point in time um so i i um try to as i say we we've we've covered that um you know ecotourism is a great way of um, promoting the, the, the and changing misconceptions about sharks. But I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people really appreciate the role that sharks have um, within marine ecosystems. Um, I have a friend that calls them uh, the doctors of the ocean. And I just think it's the most fantastic analogy for summing up their role as apex predators at the top of the food chain. Um, they, they pick off the sick and the uh, injured fish. Let me say that again. They pick off the sick and the weak and injured fish, um, which enables, um, you know, stronger species diversity um, and selection within within the within the ecosystem. Um, and they're just the most incredible animals. They're they're so special. Um, you know, they're cartilaginous fish, which give their their skeleton makes them more um, lightweight, uh, nimble, and agile. Um, they they have a they have a liver instead of a swim bladder that helps them regulate their position within um, within the water column. Um, whereas uh, teleos fish have a, a swim bladder that they inflate and deflate. Um, they have ampullae of Lorenzini um, in their in their, their front regions, their noses, um, which are electroreceptors, uh, so they can detect um, electricity within the within their environment. Um, and their jelly-filled pores that allow them to conduct that. And for that, they can they can use it for hunting, so they can detect um, heartbeats and things. Um, but they can also use it to, for navigation to some species. Um, so there's a lot of cool different things that differentiate sharks um, from from other from other animals within the sea. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of these life characteristics that that make them so unique, like their their late sexual maturity um, and their their low fecundity, a special word scientists use to basically say they they have um, 
a small number of pups each time they, they give birth um, and a, a slow growth rate too. Also make them incredibly vulnerable to, to the, the pressures that humanity are putting on them, particularly overfishing, um, not only through targeted fisheries, but also through bycatch. Um, a, a common statistic that's thrown around is that 100 million are thought to be killed every single year, which is just an insane figure. Um, when you think that a lot of shark species can take between 10 and 20 years to reach sexual maturity, yeah. you know, that it's kind of, I don't know about you, but it worries me that they're not oh, going to be absolutely. able to recover in a sufficient time frame. Um, a, a study came out not that long ago from the Global Finprint um, organization, uh, NGO, I think it is actually, the Global Finprint NGO, um, that after a study of almost 400 reefs on the planet, um, they found that there was no sharks at 20% of the reefs that they surveyed. There was like three sharks seen over 800 hours of uh, rough footage, so basic remote underwater video system, which is just an absolute, like, I don't understand how that's not headline news, to be honest with you. Um, it's devastating. Um, yeah, so it, 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 they're, they're having a hard time. And I think it's something like 25% of all shark and ray species, so Elasmobranchs, are, are, are threatened with extinction. Um, so these guys are not heading in the right direction at the moment, um, and, but there are things that we can do, thankfully, to help them out. Yeah, thankfully, that is absolutely insane. That is wild that that's not, I had no idea about that. And the fact that like I'm in marine science and had no idea about that really shows that people who aren't even in marine science absolutely will have no idea about that. Hmm. Yeah, sorry, I just word vomited a bit at you then. No, no, <laughs> but... that's good. The issues with the shark populations and the shark conservation and whatnot, so what could be done like how can people help with that like what what can we do or what needs to change in order for that to be better so there's a lot of things that you can do that may seem like small things in your daily life but they all all the actions add up um you know there's that saying that what difference will i make said one person about uh, said eight billion people sorry about using a plastic bottle right yeah um, so th th the same principle principle applies. So some of the things that you can do in your, your everyday life um, include avoiding, you know, shark products. So that's shark meat and shark fins. Um, and also um, squalene is shark liver oil. It's uh, usually used in cosmetics and bathroom products and things. So you can check the label um, and av avoid those. Shark uh, cartilage is often used as um, conjoitin. There are other sources of chondroitin too, though, so, so you can um, feel free to, to ask the manufacturer or the supplier where they source it. You are completely legally allowed to do that, um, so avoid those as well. Um, and also checking the, where your seafood is, um, is sourced from, the, the different types of methods. Um, you know, bycatch is a huge threat to sharks. Um, they're, they're one of the most commonly caught animals within within nets. Um, so that's the mm. unintentional capture of animals um, by fisheries. So long lines, gill nets and trawls, they're the three big 
methods to avoid if you can and all, always source your your seafood sustainably um and there's there's many many um seafood guides in your own country i know in, in south africa it's called sassy i believe and then in the uk we have the marine conservation society one i don't know if you have one in canada always a good thing um challenging stereotypes as, as we were talking about having conversations and not sharing um not sharing that damaging content um the fear factor stuff online but you know sharing pro shark conservation stuff with with strong messages to, to just you know subliminally change the message slowly but surely um and having conversations with people and correcting them when when they're wrong um that i think that that's that's powerful or just having a conversation not being like aggressive about it <laughs> just, just you know being like have you thought about it like this before is probably better than just going you're wrong yeah <laughs> um, absolutely but being diplomatic about it <laughs> the bycatch thing you were mentioning there really kind of you wouldn't think they'd be related but the outlook on sharks or like the view of sharks the negative image or negative light that they're cast in really does kind of impact them being bycatch because we've seen like when dolphins when it kind of came to light that dolphins were a huge part of bycatch in tuna all of a sudden everyone was like oh my gosh no no tuna like we're not buying tuna and now tuna has always has that dolphin friendly uh mm-hmm. thing on it even though like you never know right but yeah like it's always like it was a huge thing and these sharks have been bycatch for however long such a long time and no one's really made a fuss about it aside from people who actually really like sharks because they're not these huge charismatic animals like the dolphins are like they're not in air quotations nice like they're these yeah. scary animals that have this bad rap so it really is damaging when it comes to their like this whole outlook off of them is very damaging when it comes to their safety and prioritize and priority yeah definitely uh, I mean completely I think people um they almost think that it's a good thing that they're being removed yeah. from, from the ocean at the rate that they are so as I say it all goes back to the the education and awareness um everything at the root of all of these issues really is education and awareness I think it's you know, it's going to change change the world. Education and awareness on on and making it accessible is incredibly important. Um, so, I mean, more more widely, support, supporting pro shark uh, policy and legislation um, is incredibly important um, for actually making the changes in reality. Right. So the scientists do all the research. They prepare the advice. Um, and for it to actually become a reality, you need the, the, the policy and the legislation to, to support and enforce and monitor that marine protected area or, or the banning of that species or whatever it may be, the regulation of that fishery. Um, so it's important to, to get behind that and to also, um, you know, steer governments towards thinking that the, the public wants sharks alive, that they, 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 we see the value in them and that they are worth far more alive than they are dead. You know that one shark that you see on a on a ecotourism boat or a dive is worth far more alive to that operator to that local economy than it is selling it for its meat and fins once you know um but then i also think it's important that you know as with any fishing activity shark fishing is unfortunately not as clear-cut as the good guys and the bad guys um there is a lot of you know human trafficking slavery um impoverished communities that are marginalized um, and they don't have any other option um, so it's about creating alternative incomes for these people um, as well um, and you know understanding the true complexity of, of these industries um, 
I wish it was more simple <laughs> but yeah. unfortunately you know it's it's important to take it by a case-by-case basis and not paint everything with the same brush um because it is it is very very complicated um and the stories coming out all the time of the awful human rights injustices that have, that have been um placed upon uh fishermen that are essentially enslaved on on uh commercial fishing vessels that are tailored towards uh shark fishing or tuna fishing whatever it may be so yeah it's, it's very very complicated yeah absolutely it's definitely not a one simple answer kind of situation which is unfortunate <laughs> yeah we wish it was <laughs> wouldn't it be easier if just everything was all one easy answer Whew. yeah yeah I'd it would that. be but you know even right down to a tiny fishing village or a tiny local community in one country or in one jurisdiction it, it's very different to maybe one a couple of hundred kilometers up the coast you know yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough um but luckily there's a lot of incredible people working in in shark science um we still need more so if you're interested <laughs> hit us up <laughs> no such thing as too much or too many people working exactly. to make a better world exactly we all have our place exactly you don't have to be a marine biologist to, to change the world oh absolutely not i think that's a absolutely. common misconception as well no, and that's why I love some of the women I've had on this podcast have no scientific background. And I think it's so important to showcase that you don't need to go get a degree to be a conservationist. You just have to care about the world and want to make it a little bit better. Totally. You know, I mean, everyone's got their own different strengths and their different skill sets that they can bring. You know, cinematographers, you know, filmmakers, photographers, that's an incredibly powerful tool in you know changing perceptions and creating awareness around the threats facing our seas so you know that's a fantastic example of you don't need to have a degree um in marine science in order to, to make a difference um whatever whatever walk of life you come from we all share the same planet and we all need to to head towards the same the same goal so definitely you don't need to be a marine scientist to make a difference firmly believe that Absolutely. You also do a lot of advocation for our oceans. So can yeah. you tell us a bit about what you do with that? What's your, what kind of, why and what are you doing? Yeah, so um, there is a load of benefits that we can get from our sea. And I think that it's really important that we change the mindset that we currently have, which is, you know, you, you see a lot of blue chip documentaries I think they're called um so it's like your blue planet tubes and everything um where the ocean looks beautiful and it's gorgeous and it's full of incredible creatures which it is um but unfortunately that doesn't seem to be enough for people to save it right so I I kind of feel like we have to have a mind switch to all of the integral ecosystem services that our ocean provides us with that allow us to live and thrive you know from food provisioning to job uh, job security, to the air that we breathe, um, mental health benefits, uh, you know, the Blue Mind movement. There is so much that it offers us, but we have to have a healthy ocean in order to, for us to prosper from those things, right? Um, yes. So as well as just adoring sharks and, you know, trying to promote their, their conservation, um, I also think wider, wider ocean advocacy is, is really important. And that's something that 
um, I do quite regularly through my um, write, my writing um, and photography work that I'm doing, science communication in general. I wouldn't really call myself a photographer at the moment, <laughs> but I'm definitely just taking images and sharing them um, with, with conservation messages. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment um, about the British coastline and a very heavy focus of that is um, on the ecosystem services that it provides us um, provides us with. But, you know, the, the ecosystem services that we get here, they're largely the same wherever you go in the world. Um, it, does, it doesn't change. You know, we, we breathe the same oxygen. Um, so, so, yeah, it's very, very transferable. Um, do you want to talk a bit about your book? Because that's super exciting that you have a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, this is just like the most random thing that ever happened, to be honest with you. Um, and I just, I think it's also um, a, a good, ex- like I was asked the other day by um, a high school kid, I was doing some tutoring um, to a high school kid in, in America. And she said, how, how do I do what you do? Um, or how do I like go about becoming a science communicator and honestly the first step is to just try um so four or five years ago I randomly started a blog because I wanted to to write about these issues that I personally felt passionate about and I also kind of thought I might head down the journalism route I didn't but I thought I might so I wanted to practice um and fast forward to maybe six months ago I get a call from an editor who's been following my blog for years, really liked my writing style. A book idea came to him and the first person he thought of was me, which I just thought was the most random thing. (laughs) But it just goes to show you that you never know who's watching. So you might think, oh, I'm writing this for free. I'm putting in all this effort. Like who's who's reading it or what's going to come from it? And I, I, you know, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about being as passionate as you are and the opportunities will come. Because, you know, you see very quickly through people who are just trying to do it, to whatever walk of life it is, just to, to, to get somewhere. But if you've got that passion and that drive, you you'll, the opportunities will come to you. So it seems. <laughs> I'm still very, like, astonished that it even happened. Um, but, yeah, it's um, – that was more rambling. Um, but it's, um, it's about the British coastline um, – I can't say too much, but it's in uh, collaboration with a wildlife charity over here in the UK. Um, and it's going to walk people through um, the different ecosystems that we have here, some of the key species. So there are sharks, um, around 40 species of shark, both that reside here and pass through. Um, to many people's astonishment, I've, I've found <laughs> out recently. Um, and also, as I say, the, the ecosystem services, so the, the, the services that our ocean provides us, um, how you can be an ocean hero and um, so the things you can do in your everyday life that to help our seas um, and yeah and you know see some science projects that you can get involved with it's 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 gonna be like the bible is what I keep telling myself <laughs> it's gonna be like a mini like book and guide to everything someone would need to know about the ocean environment in in the UK but we shall see if that transpires but that's that's the idea <laughs> That's awesome. That is so exciting. And I fully agree that if it's something you're passionate about to just keep working at it and something will come of it. It Might not be what you originally expect, but it's going to be something good if you're passionate about it. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely you just you just have to go for your for your dreams and just keep going and keep pushing and keep believing 100% so when and where can people get this book so it's a, it doesn't come out for like another two years oh <laughs> my goodness yeah. what a tease yeah so I'm still writing it but July 2022 hopefully Oh, that's so exciting. Well, I will definitely be posting about it. I'm going to put it in my calendar right now. <laughs> post on July, in July of 2022. Yeah, so I'm still writing the, the transcript. Um, but as I say, yeah, two years time, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you on again to talk about the whole book situation afterwards. <laughs> yeah, when I'm like knackered and just falling asleep <laughs> everywhere. So emotionally drained. <laughs> Love it. It's going to be a long two years for you, but... yeah. The rewards will be worth it. Exactly, exactly. I'm I'm basically using this as like a warm up for a PhD, um, because it's a similar <laughs> word count. So that's what I'm telling myself. If people want to follow along with you and your journey as a water woman, and of course your book, is there anywhere they can find you on social media? Yes. So um, on Twitter, you can find me at Hannah S Rudd. Um, I'm very academic over there. So if that's your bag, then then follow me there. Um, and then Instagram, I've recently just started a new account um, to, to share my, my photography and science communication. Um, and also I'll be learning, I'm doing my dive master now. So that, that should start getting exciting. Um, so you can follow me there at Hannah Rudd underscore wildlife. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Hannah. It was so awesome to have you on and I've learned so much and I hope the listeners have too. So I just thank you so much. No, no, no. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Um, thank you so much for, for having me on the show. Um, and yeah, I hope everyone learned something about sharks. Um, and, you know, I hope they, you know, you, you do something for, for them, whatever it may be, all actions add up. Definitely take something from this podcast and run with it and do something. Yeah. And, you know, if anyone wants any more information or good resources to check out or, you know, I'm always open. So just drop me a message. Absolutely. And definitely check out Hannah's Instagram page because it is awesome. And I love all the things she shares. I'm always learning something new from them. So it's so cool. Thank you. That's so lovely. <laughs> Thank you. I've, I've listened to this podcast for a, a while now. So I'm very lucky to be on it. That makes my heart happy that I love that. The fact that more than two people care about this podcast blows my mind every single day. So <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great community um, and a great way of connecting similar like-minded people. So yeah, definitely join the movement and get, get behind it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe to it. You can also follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also find more behind the scenes info on our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca. I am so happy to keep sharing these stories of different water women each week with you. And until next week, stay salty.